0: Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Presbyterian Church in Owasso, Oklahoma. Our passion is to show that grace changes everything in Jesus Christ by equipping you to rest in worship, grow in community, and rediscover your calling. To join our body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at TrinityOwasso.com. Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, I'll skip to verse 17, and then I'll read verses 39 and 40. This is the very Word of God, and it is given to you in love. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. And verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. And then down in verse 39. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Please. 1 Corinthians 7 is the world's most famous sex talk. We've all heard the sex talk, usually about sex outside the bounds of marriage, but what about the sex talk for sex within the bounds of marriage? Have you heard that sex talk? Or what about the how do you handle sexual temptation if you are called to be single sex talk? Have you heard that sex talk? 1 Corinthians 7 is the world's most famous sex talk, and Paul, by way of summary of this chapter as we come back to our series in 1 Corinthians, he wants us to know four things about this topic and how it applies to our life four things. Remember first the co- the context of 1 Corinthians as a whole. 1 Corinthians was a place that Paul had gone to, had spent time there planting churches, and then he went to Ephesus and from Ephesus he writes back to the church in Corinth to answer some questions that they opposed to him. You see this when he says, now concerning the matters about which you write. He says it in verse 1 of chapter 7. He says it later in verse 25. He says it in chapter 8, verse 1. And he says it in chapter 12, verse 1. Paul addresses specific questions that the Corinthians have written to him about. And so in 1 Corinthians 7, having dealt with the questions so far that they have asked him about, he addresses a group of people in Corinth men in particular, who have decided not to have marital relations with their wife in order to keep their wives pure, as though sex within marriage was somehow gross or dirty or bad. And Paul writes to them, and he says, No, 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 no. Let's talk about sex. And he goes into the most intimate areas of married life. And so... He underscores redemptive themes and patterns. And so before we move on from 1 Corinthians 7, I thought it would be good to have a little family conversation. To move into a very intimate area of our life and to summarize four points, four takeaways from this chapter that we've spent a number of weeks on. And it's been three weeks since we've been in it. And so I thought we'd summarize it together before we transitioned to a new topic in chapter 8 next week. Four points. Number one, first... The work of Christ fundamentally changes your status and your priorities. The work of Christ fundamentally changes your status and your priorities. The most foundational aspect, the most significant thing about being a Christian is not your marital status. It is not your cultural background, it is not your psychological state, it is not your economic activity, not even your social conditions as extreme as slavery was in the ancient world. Paul says what is most important is that we belong to Christ. He says you were bought with a price, verse 23. And since we are called by Him, we are called to Him. And our fundamental status, I'm trying to avoid the slippery word of identity, but you could put that in there if you want to. Our fundamental status is that we are His. And if we are His, then He has claim to the whole of our life, even the most intimate aspects of our lives, including our sexuality. Our calling is not to human wisdom. Paul says your status, your loyalty, is not to the anti-marrying party of Corinth. It is to devote yourself to the Lord with, verse 35, undivided hearts. And this devotion to Him can express itself in a variety of ways, including marriage or including the gift of singleness. And Paul commends the single life to some, and he commends married life to others. So, what does this mean for us? It means that as you meet in community groups, it means that your level of discussion in your community groups begins to sink a little deeper to the bottom of your heart. That is, I know that when we first become members of community group, we're just kind of putting our toe in the water, we're just kind of feeling it out, but the health of our church is not merely determined by numbers and uh, giving and and do you have a building or not. Today, especially in post-pandemic Christianity, one of the essential markers of the health of a church is are you known by people in your church beyond your shepherding elder or the pastor? And are you willing to be known by people in your church, even to the deepest levels? The work of Christ fundamentally changes your status and your priorities. So we don't view church attendance as optional. We come, not because by coming we commend ourselves to God, but because you know how much you need the body of Christ to grow in, in Christ. Your fundamental status is not as an engineer, not as a baker or a candlestick maker. Your fundamental identity in Christ is in Him, and it rewires the priority of everything that you view. And community group is just one small way that you measure whether you believe that or not as you begin to share more and more of your life with those new friends in covenant community with you and community group. Second, our modern sexualized culture is nothing new but sexual expressions outside of God's design are as dangerous now as ever. Our modern secularized culture is nothing new. But sexual expression outside of God's design are as dangerous now as ever. Sexual desire is a gracious component of God's design for us to be fruitful and multiply within the covenant of marriage. Amen. Amen. It is what it is. Sex is good, and it is to be enjoyed in the confines of marriage. Yet sex is so powerful that its design is to be creative and to find expressions outside of God's design if we do not submit ourselves to His will and channel it in the ways that God has designed. It is beautiful and good when it stands within the banks of the riverways in which it's meant to flow, but when it spills over, it causes a destruction or a flood in your marriage. Let me speak to the married couples here for a second. Well, for all of us, actually. Sex in your life will be superglue within the covenant of marriage, or it will be TNT, and it will blow things up. And I could, like, call you up one by one. You could tell your own stories. I'm not going to do that. But you know this is true, right? You've seen how within the confines of marriage between husband and wife, sex becomes like super glue. It binds your, deepens your trust. It binds your commitment to each other. It deepens your relationship, which is why oftentimes in, in, in marital counseling, if a counselor were to ask you, when was the last time that you enjoyed the rights of marriage and conjugal relationship. And oftentimes, couples won't even begin to think about when it was because they have become distant over time, so far apart. And the Lord has given sex to be an incredible resource to strengthen marriage if you avail yourself to it. Our modern sexualized culture is nothing new, but the sexual expression outside of God's design are they are as dangerous as ever. You know that sex can be super glue because some of you experience that. You see it in the confines of marriage. And and those of you who aren't yet married but who desire to be, the temptation to sex is so real. You it's like it's it, it's pulling at you. And one day the Lord may bless you to be able to enjoy it in the confines of marriage. But if you if you go outside of his will for you, it becomes like And it blows things up. And the shrapnel goes deep to your heart. And you know this to be true in marriage. When sex goes outside the bounds of marriage, your children are affected if you have children. Your trust is deeply hurt with shards and shrapnel that are so painful. It doesn't just cut to the heart. It cuts right through the heart. And you married couples know, those of you who have struggled through infidelity in your own marriage, you know, even, even me talking about it brings back hurt. And me bringing it up is not to bring back hurt, but it is to just put the balm of grace back on that wound and to say, let it continue to heal because whatever the shrapnel may be, it is the grace of the gospel that heals even even through the pain of an affair." Ladies who have husbands addicted to pornography, listen to me for just a second. First Corinthians chapter 7 was written in a day and time when men didn't look at screens. They just ran to the brothels in Corinth. But the pain of someone addicted to pornography is as painful and has implications that are just as significant as having a physical affair. And men, if you are struggling in that area, I want you to know, brother, welcome to the club, that that is no excuse. And we have got in this church to fight together to help men and women, no doubt, but certainly it is more predominant among men to push back against the temptation of pornography. And if we as a church don't begin to talk about this in community groups, some community groups meet once a month as men and women just so that they can talk about things that are more particular to them. Talk about it. Community group leaders have the boldness to ask about it. The way that we in our church know how to staff and to resource you is by listening to the conversations that emerge out of counseling sessions with me and community group conversations among you. And so do we, for example, as a church, do we focus our energy on building a counseling ministry because we see how many people in this city, in Tulsa, have marriages that are wrecked by pornography? Oh, brother, if you are struggling with it, would you please confess that to me or one of the elders? If you looked at pornography last night and you come to the supper this morning, you better watch your heart. How can you spurn the blood of your Savior by such hypocrisy without repentance? Women, if you are... um, In a situation where your husband is addicted to pornography, I want you to be able to to talk about that. And you are welcome to talk to me about that. And I will pray alongside you. And we can come up with a plan to help your husband have eyes to see how dangerous it is. Our modern sexualized culture is nothing new, but sexual expressions outside of marriage, outside of God's design, are as dangerous now as ever. Now, let me talk to the couples in this room who are sexless. Verse 6 in 1 Corinthians 7 is not a suggestion. It is a command. And some of the guys are like, amen, brother, command. Verse 6 says, do not neglect the conjugal rights of a wife to her husband or a husband to a life, except for a time of mutual agreement and for prayer. And so, brothers and sisters, let me encourage you to live out God's design for marriage, even in the most intimate area of your life. God has given sex to you to be enjoyed and to be the superglue by which you experience the beauty of covenant commitment in your marriage as a shadow of Jesus's love for his bride, the church. And the CNN just last month, they published it on Valentine's Day of all times, said that sex in marriage is at a 30-year low. Even as the divorce rate drops, which it is, sex in marriage is at a 30-year low. Interesting, isn't it? And you know, I'm just going like to be as blunt as I can. It doesn't matter. Um, there's no biblical Frequency. There's no number. There's no pattern. What is important for you as married couples is that you communicate about this intimate area of your life. There is mutual agreement, and there is biblical obedience. There is communication about it. There is mutual agreement, and there is biblical obedience. One time, in a a very over-spiritualized context, I was uh, not not in our denomination, but in another group of pastors, these pastor wives cornered my wife. And they began to ask Lauren very intimate questions about our intimate relationship. And they began to ask my wife questions like, how many times a week do you and Blake enjoy each other? And Lauren gave her a number, which we had mutually agreed upon. I Listen, I'm just being honest. We've got to talk straight. And they were like, mm, not enough. And they began to give like specifics. And Lauren was like, hold the phone. That is beyond the bounds of what Scripture calls us. And so listen, I'm just being I'm just being honest that first Corinthians seven, the principles are communication, mutual agreement, biblical obedience. Do you get it? It is between you and your spouse in the intimacy of your marriage. But it is to be enjoyed. Because an over-sexualized culture like we have is nothing new. But the sexual expressions outside of God's design are as dangerous as ever. And so, in your professional lives, you need to be masters... Oh, Evangelical Christian, at setting professional boundaries. Deep fissures at home spill over into the workplace far too easy. We've all heard in the last year, ministries or men or women in ministry that have fallen because of sexual sin, even even this week. Christianity Today, the flagship magazine of evangelical Christendom, revealed that for 12 years there had been claims of sexual abuse in the workplace, and they turned a blind eye to it. I mean, and, and, and we, even in this church, have to have eyes to see and be quick to protect our children, to be quick to protect our marriages, and to be able to call out sin in an over-sexualized world and not think that it's beyond us but to fight together as a church to protect ourselves from the oversexualized culture that we're in. Paul knows how important the issue of sex was for Christians in Corinth and it was such a powerful force that sex will create new expressions to satisfy its desire unless it's channeled into its original purpose. And the greatest ambassadors for that are Christians who have healthy marriages. Third, God uses our ordinary routines and relationships to bring about His redemptive purposes in a fallen world. God uses our ordinary routines and relationships to bring about his redemptive purposes in a fallen world. Marriage, for example, brings about three such purposes. First, it provides the appropriate means of sexual fulfillment and therefore avoiding temptation to sin. This is in 1 Corinthians 7 2, verse 5, uh, verse 2, verse 5, verse 9, verse 36. Second, within marriage, it makes your children holy by bringing them into the covenant family through belief of at least one believing parent. That's chapter 7, verse 14. Third, marriage sometimes leads to the salvation of an unbelieving spouse. That's verse 16. And God similarly equips every believer, whatever their circumstances, to advance the life-giving, loving purposes of God through ordinary relationships, whether you're called to singleness and through your friendships, or you're called to marriage through the orchestration of the gospel in your home. It is the ordinary things of life that God has called us through which to reveal His redemptive purposes. And there's nothing more ordinary than marriage. It's hard. It's challenging. It's a mirror of your imperfections. It's an opportunity to turn the knife on someone that can't hide from you. And it's also an amazing opportunity to build them up and to encourage them, and husbands to be a picture to your wife of Jesus' faithfulness to His bride, and wives to be a picture to your husband of Christ's love and adoration to them, especially when it's hard. God uses our ordinary routines and relationships to bring about his redemptive purposes in a fallen world. Paul says, Don't go outside of marriage, stay in marriage. That's how God reveals his redemptive purposes to you. Now, fourth and lastly, ultimately, 1 Corinthians 7 is a chapter that points to the incarnation of Christ and the hope of the resurrection. It is in Jesus, in his incarnation, in his taking on fleshness, that he comes down to us, that he shows us a combination of his involvement in the world and yet without dependence on the world. And in the same way, even the most intimate areas of our life, we are deeply involved in the world as those who are single, being faithful to God's commitment to celibacy, or being married and being faithful to the commitment of loving our spouse in every way Scripture commands. And yet we are not dependent upon the world. In the incarnation, it is Christ who teaches us how to genuinely be human, how to bear with the sorrows of others, how to bear in the midst of difficulties and temptations. Like Jesus was never married, nor did he ever have sex, but he knows what it's like. He's been tempted in every way that we have, yet he was without sin. And the Lord has dropped you in Owasso, Tulsa, Skyatook, Claremore, Muskogee, Oklahoma, Broken Arrow. He has put you in Oklahoma in your particular situation in life, to be a demonstration of His holiness and grace to your neighbors and to your family, even those who don't yet believe. And in Jesus' incarnation, we find purpose and hope in life. Because one day, even the fading beauty of intimacy and marriage will one day in glory come with ever-increasing strength and joy. Jonathan Edwards was reflecting upon the, the resurrection and the incarnation, and he says, in anticipation of the resurrection, Christ rejoices over his saints as the bridegroom over the bride at all times. But there are some seasons when he does even more especially The time wherein the mutual rejoicing of Christ and His saints will be in its perfection is the time of the saints' glorification in Christ at the resurrection in heaven. With gladness and rejoicing they shall be brought, they shall... Enter the king's palace, Psalm 45. Edward says, That is the time when those that Christ loved and gave himself for, he might satisfy and cleanse them as with the washing of water by the word. And they shall be presented to him in glory, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Married couples will stand before Christ with zero tensions. Oh, it'll be beautiful. Don't you long for that? that is the time when the church will be brought to the full enjoyment of her bridegroom having all tears wiped away from her eyes and there shall be no more distance or absence she shall then be brought to the entertainment of an eternal wedding feast to dwell eternally with her bridegroom yea to dwell eternally in his embraces and then Christ will give her his love and she shall drink her fill yea she shall swim in the oceans of his love that is a picture of your future And so however however hard it is for you as a married couple to communicate about these intimate areas of your life, have the courage to begin those conversations because we as Christians are going to be glorified with an ever-increasing strength, with no distance between us. And now He offers us just an appetizer and a taste of that glory. And so... From the world's most famous sex talk, may it give us confidence as those in need of grace. Me in my marriage, you in yours, you in your single life, each of us in need of grace. And let grace heal us of our past sexual sin and as. We let grace heal us of our superiority toward those who are somehow we believe dirtier than we are, more sinful than we are. Let grace heal us of our self-righteousness too. And as we let grace show us the holiness of our God, we turn to Christ in joy and in gratitude for the incarnation and in anticipation of the resurrection. Delight not in the shame, but in the repentance and power of healing that is available to you in his name. Don't you want that? It is only in the gospel that Jesus gives us both dignity and freedom. Don't you see that he's offered that to you on the cross when he came for you? and the implications of the cross, the effects of the cross, shoot wide to the world and deep to the most intimate areas of your life. Let the gospel equip you to live confidently in hope and joy in the world, yet without dependence upon it. Because Jesus offers you hope in healing through His own sacrifice for you. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Trinity, please visit our website at trinityowasso.com.